You found the Digging Oak Island podcast, a podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you've been listening to and enjoying our podcast, please help us out by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. All right, today's show is the second and final part of our interview with researcher and uh, Oak Curse of Oak Island part-time cast member Corey and Maul. Last week, we talked about a lot of stuff. This week, we're focusing only on the Italy trip. And once again, he's going to blow your mind, not only with some information that he gives you, but also about some of the things that they decided not to keep in the show and not to let us see. There's just some fascinating stuff there. Um, and it's really great to hear Corey and talk about it. Every time we have one of these conversations, it just blows my mind. Don't forget, uh, patreon.com slash digging Oak Island. If you want to help keep this podcast going, uh, consider becoming a patron. Uh, patrons get exclusive access to live chat during the U.S. broadcast of each new episode of The Curse of Oak Island. Uh, it's only five bucks a month. Uh, you can cancel anytime. Again, patreon.com slash digging Oak Island. I am so excited about this interview. That's all I'm going to say. We're going to uh, we're going to listen to the seagulls here for a second. Come right back as Corey and Maul and I talk about this year's past trip to Italy to talk more and learn more about Oak Island the history of the Knights Templar, and the possibilities of what this might all mean for Oak Island. Let's go to Italy. Um, and we meet uh, Emiliani, Emiliano Sacchetti is his name. Uh, yes. uh, there was another one, Alberto Recantini, I think was the name. I can't, I'm trying to remember yeah. if I'm saying that right. Um, so tell us how this whole trip came to be. Like how, how this, give, give us the background just to the trip because this was a fascinating little trip. Yeah, it was, it was, it was very, very, very cool. Um, I was I was on holiday in Italy uh, that year, and looking at some stuff, and then you know uh, uh, one thing uh, follows another, and uh, uh, we started to uh, to look at uh, at some sites and, and 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 the same that we did in Portugal. Would it be possible to make a connection um, to to Oak Island or you know early early North America? Because if something you know, was buried on Oak Island of great, let's say, spiritual value. Right. It would have had to travel. Um, and, and so where did it come from? If it came from the Middle East, it would have traveled possibly, you know, through Italy, France, and then, you know, either through Portugal or Scotland uh, to North America. Right. You know, could we see these early trajectories and how would they be tagged or marked, if at all? Uh, and another thing, uh, you know, uh, uh, that was still puzzling us uh, was this uh, this four dot cross. You know, it's it's uh, it's an inconspicuous thing, uh, but th that too is a symbol that you don't you don't see every day. And and, and of course, you know, with the uh, with this big explosion in Nova Scotia, we've lost all the context of what the original stone was. 
it might have been something completely having nothing to do, you know, with with any treasure or anything. Right. Might have been a road, you know, might have been a road sign for for all we know. Maybe we don't, we have no idea. But if you look for the symbol of a cross with four dots, um, it's not so easy to find. It's not it's not something you see every day. Um, and one group that did use this symbol was was the Knights Templar, and they they used it to mark very very special places they use this to mark uh, relics um so when we got you know got the hang of that and uh um and 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 learned that you know for example in, in Viterbo, uh, there's there's some sites that that have the symbol so you know let's let's go have a look and then you know at the same time uh, um we um uh, had been looking at this uh, this ground plan of the uh, uh, the Knights Templar uh, caves in uh, in Osimo and noticed that this you know one of these tunnels uh, you know crazy as it may sound had the same shape as the lead cross that was that was found on Oak Island. Yeah. Um, we thought, yeah, you know, wait, wait, let's go let's go have a look at this. Let, let's see it for ourselves. I mean, you, it's easy to dismiss, uh, but uh, uh, we want to know. And then, of course. Uh, um, also, a Roman coin uh, had been found uh, uh, right. on the island, uh, or half a Roman coin, uh, which uh, the team wanted to have checked out. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, we came up with this uh, um, numismatist, uh, absolute expert uh, right. in, uh, in Rome, you know, uh, who had a look at it and who you saw on the show. And then, uh, you know, before you know it, you have three, four locations and you can call it a trip. <laughs> I there's a going back to the caves um there there's a couple of there's a couple of interesting things in there and a couple of questions I have for you and these are these are genuine questions I don't know the answers to them um there's one th sure. the the way the narrator sometimes the way the narration is written sometimes it leaves questions open for me and my ears peek up when he says things like this is a cave built by the Romans believed to have been reconstructed by the Knights Templar. Now, the use of the word believed to puts a, puts a shadow of doubt in my mind. And I wonder, do we not know for sure if Templars were involved in these caves? Or do we know, and that was just phrase strange? <laughs> we weren't there when they were there. <laughs> uh, that's a good answer <laughs> yeah i mean what, what what do we know we know that um the area and, and it's called the marsh you know the so the area around ancona in uh, in italy was a a definitely a, a, a templar heartland so there was a massive templar presence over there they had many commanderies you know many many chapels and churches okay um so i mean that's that's fact established fact um and who else the, would the do other such fact, i mean the, well i mean uh, yeah uh, no idea uh, right. uh, there can be uh, uh, a million reasons to, <laughs> to go, to go uh, in a I cave suppose. and do stuff uh but there is templar symbol symbols in the in the in the caves i mean there there's uh, you know the uh, templar crosses uh uh, and uh, uh, and other uh, symbols like you know triple enclosures and 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 stuff that that typically templars would use when they would be in a place for a longer period of time, and you know the 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 extent of that is the the Templar prison in Dome that you've seen in season mm -hmm. four, I think. Yep. Um, where the walls have been, you know, 
are are basically covered in in symbology uh, because a lot of Templars spend a lot of time there. Um, in you know the the walls in in Camerano and Osimo. I mean, there's not as many symbols as in Dome, but the, the symbols that you see are are quite easy to. I mean, they they okay. they look the same. You know, it's the it's the same themes. Uh, and then and that's the explanation we got from the Italian experts. Uh, um, you know, at the, the dissolution of the Templars, the uh, the, ref, the refugee Templars literally went underground. Okay. Uh, which and which is a pattern repeating uh, this Alberto uh, you're naming and this is my I think my favorite story from the Italy expedition. Alberto was yeah, he's an old timer you know he's he's way in his eighties. Um, so um, I was in his uh, in his house talking to him uh, and looking at all his documents and he had this this cellar where there was books you know stacked up all all the way up to the ceiling. And then uh, we did our tour, you know, and there's, there's, it's quite uh, a hilly place, so it's not easy to, to navigate on foot. It was very hot and uh, uh, the roads were very steep, but he was just, you know, he was just uh, gunning for it. So we were underground and then at the end of the trip, um, he got really emotional and he told us this story. So this Alberto actually lived in these caves in Camerano for a few years wow. um, uh, to escape conscription. Uh, because there was the, the fascist uh, regime in Italy and uh, he wasn't a friend of Mussolini, uh, didn't want to serve in the army. Uh, and then one day, and that was, you know, uh, uh, I think one of the, as, as he related, one of the first times he heard English, uh, people uh, speak English, was when the American soldiers entered Camerano and, and were basically liberating the city. So he was in this cave hearing English voices and our, you know, us talking and our voices, well, I'm still got goosebumps here. Uh, and our voices reminded him of that uh, of that moment, oh and 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 he drew the parallel. So when Templars were under pressure, they went underground. Me, when I needed to do something against my will, I went underground and I sacrificed, right. you know, part of my life uh, to escape that and and live here underground. And him too, you know, he scratched his name wow. into uh, into 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 the walls. Uh, perhaps you know, like Templars did a few hundred years ago, and I think that was such a powerful uh, parallel and uh, such a powerful story. It didn't make uh, uh, the episode, unfortunately, but uh, th th that was wild. So, and, but I think you know, uh, uh, given everything, I, th I think it's likely uh, Knights Templar were in these caves. Now, the other thing is, we saw uh, an uh, uh, an example of what also looked like the goosepaw sign, um, but yeah. I, what. It was kind of the where you saw it, where you pointed it out. It was this strange sort of red clay thing, and it wasn't really explained what it was we were looking at. Um, it was a cat. It was a cat. I mean, the the, the rock of the uh, um, of the caves is is quite soft. Um, so the thing you saw in the show was a a a, a cast, uh, a, a, a plaster mold, a plaster casting of of the old altar. Uh, that had been there until, I th you know, so half of the altar was still hanging from the rock somewhere, and they'd made, you know, the, the uh, a cast of this emblem because somebody thought it was special. Interesting. Okay, so, so just that was, was an original piece. It was right. just a model of what the, was the way it was put there. It was like it was obviously not like you just, we didn't find something up on a wall. It was something that was put there, and it wasn't explained to us why it was there. Uh, oh, the, the next it was a mold. Yeah. The next time you went to Osimo, Osimo. Yeah. 
Uh, And you met with somebody who is a member of the modern day Knights Templar, which I didn't know existed. Yeah. Um, And nor did I. (laughs) And uh, let went into yet another one of these cave systems. And in this cave system, you found um, an O. I think it's an O with a dot in it, a zero with a dot in it. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that symbol? Because that's one. I mean, we liken it here to the H.O. Stone. Um, I've talked a lot about the H.O. Stone. Uh, it is um, There's a lot that's not mentioned in the show about the history of the H.O. Stone, uh, but the symbol itself is fascinating, and, and I would like you to just to kind of expand on that a little bit for us. Well, I think in actual fact, we don't know a lot about this stone. You know, we, right. we think we know where it once sat on the island, and, uh, and we know that it was broken, and we know uh, what one of the pieces looked like because there's a photo of it. Right. And uh, and, and and I think with that you've sort of exhausted uh, the yeah, collective memory exactly. about uh, about the H.O. stone. Uh, uh, the caves in Osimo um, have this symbol. I think the uh, official uh, name is the Circum Point. Uh, is a, a circle uh, with a dot uh, at the center, which we also see on the H.O. stone. Uh, and it also had this uh, uh, this crescent moon uh, uh, close to it, like we we saw in Fonte uh, Arcada in uh, in Portugal. Um, yeah, whether or not that is a link, uh, it's the same symbol, you know, without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, but it's something that you see more often, and it can mean a number of things. It can mean just the sun. It can mean gold. Um, uh, but of course, you know, especially in combination with the moon. Uh, it can mean, uh, you know, day and night. Uh, yeah, you, these are the most common of symbols. You know, it's a, it's powerful as a, you know, uh, the force of life and the sun coming up, uh, uh, you know, like clockwork every day. Um, but you know, uh, not so sure that it that it hides a mystery. It's it's in in the combination of these things. So I'm, I'm by now I'm sort of convinced that the combination of this four dot cross. And uh, uh, a circle with a dot, uh, 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 perhaps you know, means something in combination. Uh, uh, but if you if you find them separately, you know, I don't know. Yeah. So it's not a symbol that is, um, you know, like the other ones that we spoke about that has a history to it that we know uh, this, you know, it was used for this purpose or that purpose. It was. Uh, it, we're, we're really reaching into sort of theorizing here with this. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it could be. It, it, I mean, it's so. Um, there's so many of them in so many places where they mean different things. You know, sometimes they they mean the beginning of a trajectory, uh, or and, and uh, it can mean uh, an alchemical substance, or you know, all, all sorts of stuff. But it's hard to pinpoint. I mean, the, the right, four dot right. cross. I think it's it's is is the most unique symbol that really means something. So if there's if we ever find, you know, a real connection to uh, to Oak Island from Europe, it might well be marked with a four dot cross. Wow! So through that, through a symbol like that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. And then I, I want to get your take on the um, on the astronomy thing. Um, the let's see if I wrote his name down, Professor Adriano Gaspani. Gaspani, yeah. Um, Gaspani, yeah. What did you What did you think of that? What did you think of that theory? Huh. Gasparni is uh, he's a very knowledgeable guy. Yeah. Um, so he spent his life looking at places like Stonehenge uh, and uh, you know churches and chapels and looking at the orientation 
because you know pe- people had the habit to to align that church to a certain uh, configuration in the heavens uh, for somewhere or another. You know, that could be the summer solstice or uh, right. uh, uh, the birthday of a certain saint or uh, something like that. And uh, he wrote a lot of papers about it, and he's you know taken very seriously in uh, he's taken very seriously in, in his field of uh, of expertise. Um, so, yeah, what can I say? Uh, um, he 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 looked at the heavens uh, and um, looked at at the placement uh, of the arms of Nolan's cross, and then you and then you have it. And and uh, if Nolan's cross was intentional, if it's a man-made structure. Uh, then, uh, in his mind, it 100% corresponds uh, with these constellations, with these stars that he he mentioned uh, on the show. I don't know yeah, how hard have, exactly yeah. what it was. I think it was Antares and uh, uh, and a number of others. But the, his big statement, and that, that was another thing that didn't make uh, the episode. So I asked him, what what is what is the chance that this was coincidence? And he said to me, it's like one in 35 million. <laughs> so he said the, ch- the, ch- the chance that Nolan's cross was, uh, these stones were there by accident and then pointing at these uh, uh, stars in the sky is one in 35 million. In other words, there's no chance in hell <laughs> that this wasn't man-made with the specific intent to look at these stars. And then the show takes a careful approach. I mean, they, they didn't put this in. Maybe uh, you know, not not to uh, to stress the point too much. But but uh, you know, I, I was quite. I mean, he looked like you know, this is definitely not something uh, I know a lot about. Uh, but he, he uh, seemed certain enough uh, of his uh, of his case, and he's you know, he's not an idiot. You know, far from it. You know, this this is some oh, someone sure. who. Uh, works for a reputable uh, institution uh, and who's made a living uh, out of this, uh, you know, travels the world uh, right. telling these stories on conferences and uh, to other scientists. So who am I to to disagree? Uh, and th- this was the first time that I actually felt that, you know, maybe, maybe, here's, maybe here's the proof that Nolan's Cross is Nolan's Cross. You know, I, I asked you that for two reasons. Uh, one, because I think the way it was presented to us uh, almost seemed... Uh, less academic than I think it really was, which is why I asked you and why you, why, and I'm glad you answered the way you did. The other thing was because, you know, we've spoken to Corey and Maul about um, Nolan's cross and it's uh, sort of uh, ability to reach beyond Oak Island possibly. And I was, you know, with its uh, pointing to Europe and places like that. And I was just wondering if you thought any of that sort of lined up with your thinking on any of this stuff. I mean, it, Seems to me oh, that it, it seems to me that that also sort of lends a little credence with the alignment, because you could see does. where the alignment would be made and how it could be done, and it could be done through this it process. Does. Yep, it does. It does. It does. So so yeah, it does. Um, yeah, Nolan's cross. I've I have little doubt that Nolan's cross is um, is a man-made structure and in, you know in the words of Steve Goptill you know it's too precise you know he's a professional surveyor looked at this for years and years and years it's very it's very hard to think that this would be uh, there by coincidence uh, and then of course you know people uh, say uh, Fred Nolan's been tampering with it uh, 
uh, yeah, it's all possible. But uh, yeah. in the end, you know, given uh, everything at, uh, in my mind, uh, it's it's one of the one of few you know certainties um, that I have on uh, on Oak Island. Uh, and that's just uh, that's my uh, big yeah. disclaimer here. That's my personal uh, opinion after the research that I've done and the people that I've talked to. So I mean, Gaspani is convinced of it, uh, and he's a proper scientist. Uh, what right. you didn't see is that he wrote a, like a 300-page report full of calculations and, uh, wow. and stuff uh, 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 that he based his uh, presentation on. Wow! Uh, so he spent a lot of time uh, validating this, and he was absolutely sure. The, wow. the other thing here, the other component is that the constellations that he points at, that he mentions, were the constellations that were used in the Middle Ages to, to navigate. So in a time that uh, people didn't have proper compasses yet, uh, that they didn't have a movable clock yet. I mean, the big breakthrough in the 17th right. century uh, was that Christian Huygens, a countryman of mine, you know, created a, a portable clock that you could take on a ship, which would make your positioning uh, a lot more reliable than it was until that time. But until that time, they they only just had basically a stick and 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 a <laughs> and table and a yeah. and a and a yeah and a sun and a perception of time. You know, even an astrolab, which we today think is quite sophisticated, is just uh, it's just a stick on a string that you can put in a certain uh, uh, position. That's what what the Portuguese uh, used. They used the sky. They knew that when they would travel to another town for a day, they would look up at night, that the sky would have changed. And they knew that if they would look up in the winter, it would look different from when they would look up in the summer, because you have the procession of the stars. And it was much darker than it is today. So they had a, a much better grasp of what was you know, over their heads. They would recognize these constellations. They would know their Ursa Majors and their sicknesses. Uh, you know, they could tell their Orions and their, their Tauruses apart, uh, which is something that uh, that we have forgotten how to do, I guess. Uh, but they could do this. So they had a very, very good perception of where they were. And Gasparni sort of, you know, put a put a certification label uh, on that uh, using Nolan's Cross. And it also, and in, in a way, uh, if that's where you're going, it's it validates the theory that Chris and I brought in season eight about yeah. the alignment. Uh, from Versailles to Jerusalem, and then uh, from uh, uh, from Oak Island uh, uh, back to Europe, uh, you know that that's 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 nothing, uh, nothing, it's nothing short of amazing. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. and this, yeah, and this te technology basically was was developed on in the 17th century. So in the 17th century, you had this portable clock, uh, and uh, people started to, to to know more about. Longitude. I mean, latitude was known since the year 30. The Phoenicians used latitude, right. but longitude was a more difficult thing, uh, and 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 became more reliable reliable in in the 17th century only. Um, so endlessly fascinating. What Gasparni did was at least give us a plausible reason why Nolan's Cross uh, is there, why it points at these constellations, uh, and, uh, and 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 gives it. Credence, I, I would love to see the show really examine for the viewer Nolan's Cross and really get into it because, um, as you mentioned there briefly, there are a lot of doubts from fans about Nolan's Cross and what it is and how it got there yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And it and they we see precious little of it on the show, and it seems to be something that um, a lot of theories could be uh, based around. Um, 
Were you with them in Rome too? Yes. Okay. Because they, they went. You can't to- see me, but I was sitting. Be- I was sitting behind the desk on the ground because I wanted to hear the uh, the conversation. Right. Because we didn't see you. Like we didn't. We didn't see you with the no, numismatist was, and the and the and and all that kind of stuff too. Um, the interest. The one that really popped out to me is you mentioned the Venetians and that popped. You know that 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 made the, my brain remember this story about these two Venetian. I think they were brothers. Who um, the Zeno brothers? Yeah. Right, the Zeno brothers who went to, uh, out of Venice, I think, to the Faroe Islands and met with none other other than Henry Sinclair, <laughs> who yeah. you and I have talked about on a number of occasions. Had you heard that story before about the Zeno brothers and Henry Sinclair? I had, yeah, I had. Uh, but you know, in my mind, um, it's already proven that the Norsemen were. Uh, uh, in Newfoundland in 1021, there right. was no reason for me to uh, to try to prove that because someone else already has done that better than I could. Uh, with real proof on the ground, um, I did I did know the the, the Zeno narrative, um, and I had read uh, uh, Andrea Di Robilant's uh, book. It was fantastic to meet him uh, in real life in the American University in in Rome. That was the, uh, the Robilant, and he did an. Yeah, and he did an interesting thing. Uh, so the Zeno narrative is, uh, as with all these uh, things, is disputed because it's based on, you know, a uh, uh, a much later family member who discovered the journals from his two uh, hundred years later, right. and he recompiled it. He drew a map based on their um, wordings, you know, uh, and of course, you know, it looked a little bit uh, dodgy after that. And what Andrea did is he just, you know, took a boat. And he tried to literally follow the journal, and he, he ended up in, uh, I think, in Greenland, uh, and 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 basically validating uh, uh, the journal, uh, which which is mighty cool. Um, so for me, you know, whether or not Henry Sinclair was part of that expedition is is almost immaterial. Uh, it's very well possible. I mean, Henry Sinclair was an earl, you know, a jarl. Uh, he's right. he, he was. Uh, um, um, in, in the Norseman hierarchy, uh, which wasn't yet, you know, the, the the European hierarchy of dukes and counts and earls, he was still a jarl with a J A. Um, so he was he was more Norse than he was than he was Scottish, um, and uh, you know he went on a uh, uh, on a Norseman boat. Uh, so I think there's a big chance this thing uh, actually happened, uh, but it's uh, it's. You know, it's not uh, 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 critical to validate uh, the Zeno narrative. Sure, I think two two men from Venice uh, reached uh, uh, North America in uh, in in, th- in 1392. That's amazing. <laughs> that was an yeah. incredible thing. I had not read that before. Um, the last thing I want to mention to you uh, um, was uh, Viterbo, which is a. Ah, is, yeah is a city with an incredible um, papal history to it. I mean, this is the place where the, where the popes like ran away from, (laughs) right? This, this is that during a time where, where the popes, um, where a pope's power wasn't really consolidated, there were often disputes between who the pope really was and all this kind of stuff. Um, And so in this town uh, outside of Rome, you have this amazing papal history and this incredible, like yeah. of, of a time where you could really see, you know, turmoil, things done in secret, things lost to history. I mean, this yeah. is, this is an amazing place to go to. Um, 
just tell us a little bit about it and, and a little bit about what you guys found there. Viterbo, yeah. If you if you ever go to uh, to Rome, visit Viterbo. I wish nobody I had. knows it, and it's the <laughs> most amazing place. If they wanna, if they're looking for uh, a place that looks like Rome and they wanna film somewhere, they go to Viterbo. I think a week wow. before we were there, they were filming some big Disney production. Wow! Um, it's it's an amazing place. It's a certified uh, Templar sheet, and um, I wanted to go there because uh, of another story. So. Um, after the dissolution of the Knights Templar, all their assets uh, were transferred to uh, the Knights Hospitaller, so the Order of St. John. Right. And um, Viterbo uh, was one place um, where uh, Philip de Villiers, uh, who was the, the grandmaster of the hospitalers in 15-something, uh, 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 looked for refuge and for a new place you know, to found his order. Because he had just been uh, um, uh, kicked out of, uh, of uh, I think it was Rhodes or Cyprus, where he withstood a force of 100,000 Turks with like five or 6,000 uh, hospitalers. So he was an absolute hero. And after that, the, basically the hospitals were without territory. So one of the places where he came to beg for, for new ground and for territory was in, uh, in Viterbo. And he actually brought relics. So he was an example of a successor to the Knights Templar that traveled around carrying relics. There's a beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, Madonna icon uh, in Viterbo that incidentally has the four-dot cross, uh, which was brought there by right. Philip de Villiers, um, uh, the Grand Master of the Hospitallers, the, uh, you know, who had inherited everything that once uh, was owned by, uh, by the Knights Templar. Uh, and uh, um, we saw the four dot cross on various places uh, in town, uh, and one section uh, that they, that they didn't air, but what, which I think was really powerful. Um, uh, so the, uh, you see on the show that we are interviewing across this fountain. On this fountain, there's a four dot cross. Then we go to this chapel, and then uh, um, uh, you see. Uh, uh, Peter Fernetti uh, uh, finding an altar with a big four-dot cross. Right. Uh, and then at the end of the – it was almost like a trajectory through town. And then, you know, it, it at the end, literally, at the end of the town, you have the old papal palace. Uh, and there was a, um, a marble plaque uh, against the wall uh, that had a four-dot cross and which pointed to uh, a relic that had been found during renovations under the church. So what they found was actually the jaw – what they think was the jaw of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist, the patron saint of the Knights Templar. So the Knights Templar um, uh, had hidden the jawbone of John the Baptist under the church in Viterbo, marked by a four-dot cross, um, which which was incredibly cool. And never understood why they didn't put that in the episode. Um, how but, did they? Uh, there how you did go. they get the a thousand-year-old bone? <laughs> Of John the Baptist's jaw, or is this one of these things where they just thought that's what it was? <laughs> how did you can? It's like uh, you know wood from the from the true cross. You can probably right, you know right. build a forest of crosses if you add up all the wood from the that's true what cross. I mean, yeah, an old church in the world. Uh, but but they 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 believed that that's what it was. Yeah, uh, that it was that, and and they did amazing thing. Another another thing. Uh, uh, which Incredible. you didn't see, and we didn't even take the team there. But I, I, I went to Loreto um, in the beginning of the trip before the guys arrived from uh, from America, 
where you have the holy house. So the Knights Templar actually transported what they thought was the uh, the house of the Virgin Mary from the Holy Land, you know, all the way uh, to Italy, where it's, uh, I think, to Croatia and then to, to Italy, wow. where, where today it sits in uh, in this fantastic shrine in a uh, basilica in Loreto. Um, and that's what that's what they could do. So even you know in the in the in the in the 13th 14th century, if they wanted to, you know, they they would just ship a house somewhere because they thought it was uh, it was it was worth something, right? It was valuable right, for them. Well, for sure uh, it was, yeah. Um, uh, which which is crazy. And I think you know modern science by now has has indeed confirmed that this is a first century house from Palestine. And whether or not Mary ever lived in there, you know, no idea. But they right. took. They took a number of walls, just full walls, you know, put it on a, on a on a cart or a ship, and they went through all the trouble. This is before before there were highways or 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 cranes or uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anything like that. Yes, it's just yes. crazy. It is crazy. It's just crazy. So the, these guys, you know, they they would stop at nothing to spread their belief. Now, I got one last question I want to ask you, but before I do that, I want to make sure that I'm not missing anything. Anything in this Italy trip that we haven't talked about that maybe we should have, or did we? You think we covered it all here? No, I think we covered it pretty much. It was it was amazing. It was it was amazing. Yeah. The one thing that um, in my time researching all this and reading Oak Island and watching the show too, and all this kind of thing. I think all of us and all the fan, the people who listen to my show and the people who I interact with, the fans, the uh, listeners that I interact with, um, we all have the same kind of frustration. And that frustration is after all this time, after all these theories, all this reading, we seem to be no closer to even narrowing a time frame down to what might have happened. And it just struck me as you and I were talking that we covered basically everything from 1021 <laughs> to the 1740s and that your yep. research and that your, um, you know, the stuff that you've been been looking at and, and, and reading through covers centuries. Do you feel like you've gotten any closer to coming up with a time frame or do you think at this point? We're still not anywhere near that. Oh, I would say no. I, I've definitely uh, come closer to uh, to what I think is the timeline. And I think if you if you look at all these theories that indeed span what is it a, a thousand years? <laughs> yeah. That much that much of all of these is probably true, and that Oak Island holds a central position uh, in, in much of that. So some way or another, you know, Oak Island was a hub in some happenings that connect early Europe to to the birth of North America, you know, in the broader sense. Uh, and because I've built a timeline, I've built it, you know, from, from the very beginning uh, um, to... Uh, to today, didn't do that on my own. You know, uh, I did that together with Chris Morford, uh, and, and and this is the reason we wrote we wrote uh, the book that's coming out in uh, in February, um, because it's 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 such a it's such a big story, and we we found we found out you know a number of so amazing things that that we wanted to record, you know, in all its delightful detail, uh, without having the restriction 
uh, of having to to have a, a story arch in a right. uh, in a thirty minute television show. Um, but I, I definitely uh, think uh, we've come closer to what happened on Oak Island. Something happened very early, and then uh, because of that, other uh, other stuff happened a uh, uh, hundred years later, and a hundred years later, and a hundred years later. And people kept coming back to this place because you know momentous things had happened there. And I think we see the outline of that, uh, particularly in the datings. So if you look at uh, the dating uh, of the, the the stone road, the dating of the wells that they uh, that right. they found, you know, the datings in the swamp that all seem to converge around what is it like the the twelve hundred uh, uh, mark. Mm-hmm. So so in my mind, you have this twelve hundred group of datings, then you have like fifteenth, um, sixteenth uh, century kind of dating and then you move into the the 1750s and upwards right right uh, in my mind corresponds with you know something was perhaps d- deposited in the middle ages uh, was handled in uh, during the age of discovery uh, and then heavily contested in the 17th 18th century um and and i and i and broad as that is you know that covers all the finds and all the datings and uh if you go a layer deeper uh th- then to my to my surprise you you do find the events uh and you do find uh the 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 people and the motives uh that connect the whole thing together and you know when you do something like this and you focus on an island that that you know that some of it must be conjecture or speculation Right. Uh, theory, eh, if you will, um, but uh, I think if if you if you cross all of that out, then uh, you will be left with the the twenty five or thirty percent of the story, and that is that is the truth, uh, which is what what happened on Oak Island, uh, and and uh, um, I think we we've come a lot closer to that than uh, you know, than ten years ago. So so our frustration with these different timelines that we keep seeing these different dating things shouldn't be frustration. What you're saying is it is the timeline. What we're looking at is, is the the, yeah. 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 Wow. That's great. Yeah. Corinne, I yeah. can't, I it's can't. not like, it's not like someone, someone came to Oak Island, someone came to Oak Island in 1540 and, uh, you know, dropped his lad cross and then uh, buried the treasure chest and he was uh, home for dinner at nine. I mean, that's not how it, that's not right. how it works. This right. was an area uh, that evolved over a very long time. I can't thank you enough for this. I'm going to have nightmares about uh, masked men being brought aboard ships, but <laughs> but other than that, this yeah. was this was a what a great con- thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for filling in the gaps. I know a lot of people have been waiting really to hear you got you talk about this stuff again because it always is such a fascinating conversation to listen to you go on about this stuff. And you tease there a book that we're going to talk more about later on in the offseason here. So, uh, folks, stay tuned for that. Uh, I think we're going to have some reading to do and some tests to take, guys. So uh, we're going <laughs> to be waiting for that soon. Thank you so much. We will talk to you again soon. Okay. Thanks a lot, Dave. My, my absolute pleasure. What a fun conversation. Thank you. <laughs>
All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Digging Oak Island podcast. My incredible, sincere thanks. All the thanks I could possibly give to Corey and Maul. Uh, I really, guys, I honestly think, and maybe I'm just patting myself on the back, I don't think the podcast has ever been better than that. Like, what Corey and brought to us here, the information, the the possibilities, the stuff to think about, I, I don't remember ever having a conversation or a podcast that good. I went back and listened to this myself a couple of times just to sort of write things down as he's talking about some of the stuff he's mentioned. I mean, it just, it blew me away. What a, what an incredible job. And I'll tell you something that really sticks out in my mind after this. Uh, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of things he talked about that we can go on and on about. And please, if you have any comments about it, drop us a line, diggingoakisland at gmail.com. And we'll talk about your emails once, uh, you know, in a, in a future podcast. But you know, we always say if they don't show it on TV, then maybe, uh, you know, most likely it was meaningless or it didn't help further the uh, further the narrative that the show is pushing or the treasure narrative. Well, Corey Amal obviously made us realize that that's not the only reason. Sometimes they just cut things because it's a poor editing choice. No other reason than that, right? I mean, there was some stuff in both of these interviews that he says were not um, were not aired that would have helped us to not only better understand what was going on here, but probably would have made the information we did get to see that much more compelling. It's a strange decision in some of these things. I don't, I'm not, I'm not a television editor. I'm sure they have their reasons, but, uh, you know, sometimes we got to assume that there's a lot more to the story. I tell you guys that all the time, especially when it comes to people, guests on the show, there's a lot more to what we, what is going on there than we're ever hearing. Anyway, again, my thanks to Corey Moore, his great friend, uh, and just a brilliant guy. Can't wait for his book to come out. And we're going to have Corey on again this offseason um, to talk about that book along with Chris Morford. So stay tuned for that. That'll be later on in the maybe late summer, early fall. Anyway, that's all. Don't forget the show. Uh, if it's worth five bucks a month to you, then become a patron, patreon.com slash Oak Island. Uh, five bucks a month, cancel any time. If you want to make a one-time donation to the podcast, you could do so at Dave McBride Music. Uh, also, consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get shows. Thanks to everyone who's done that. Follow the show, Facebook and Twitter. Just go at Diggin' Oak Island. Have any questions or comments, you can send them directly to me. Best way to do that is email diggin'oakisland at gmail.com. And just keep in mind, if you do send me an email or a direct message on social media, I'll probably answer it on a future podcast. So if you don't want it read aloud, just make a note of that. <laughs> After all that, man, there's not enough crown in the world to uh, <laughs> to get my head back on straight, but it is crown time. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Digging Oak Island.